Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. We thank you for your presence among us. God, we thank you for your justice, for just who you are in the midst of the chaos, that you are still on the throne, that you are still sovereign, that you are still in charge. And when kingdoms fall, and when leaders fall, and when nations fall, and idealisms and beliefs fall, that you, God, are still in charge and we can trust in you. We thank you for the assurance, God, of your leadership and of your great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated, everybody online. Uh, whatever you're doing, you can be seated too. You can even lay down, I guess, unless you're driving. If you're driving, don't be doing that, okay? Don't be doing that. Hey, I want to welcome everybody. So glad that you're here, especially if you found us and joined us for the first time. And what a thing that you would do on a snowy weekend, that you would, you would do that on a sunny. But it's just great to be with you in worship. If you're online, thank you so much, wherever you are, for allowing us to be a part of your life. I would love to connect with you after worship if you're on site. If you're online, shoot me a note, shoot me an email. I'll do my best to respond. I would just love to kind of have some sort of connection with you and express gratitude uh, for your presence here. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, you want to get them, uh, you can do so. We'll kind of get, get, get situated. We're going to be in the book of Philippians here in, in a little while. But I want to begin this new series with a thought experiment. So here's the experiment. I want you to think of the happiest person that you know. Right now, I want you to think of the most joy-filled person that you know. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's sappy and syrupy. I'm talking about someone who is genuinely joy-filled. I mean, they wake up every morning just grateful to be alive. I mean, they just kind of have an energy about them. Uh, they're confident in who God is. They're excited about the future. I mean, they're just optimistic that God is going to do something in the future. And when you're around them, they just breathe life and energy into you. Now, get that person in your mind. Got them? Got them? See you up on the track. You got them? Now, don't you just love being around those people? I mean, don't you? I mean, I got people like that in my life. I can't get enough of them. I just want to be around them as much as I can. Everybody agree with that? You all kind of agree? Now, I want you to do the opposite now. I want you to think of somebody that you would consider to be the unhappiest person on earth. I mean, somebody who just always kind of got a scowl on their face, and they always kind of are a grump, and they're always kind of complaining, always kind of whining all the time, you know, the glass is half empty, always applying to the, the martyr, the victim, oh, why is all this always happen to me sort of person, kind of negative, kind of, you know, you, you know, you know the kind of person I'm talking about. Now, I want you to think about that person, I want you to think about them, don't elbow them, okay? Don't look at them. Whatever you do, even online, don't look at them. We're just thinking about them. Because nobody wants to be around that person for very long. They empty you. They just drain you. I've been thinking about this little situation of joy and happiness, the happy life. And I've been wondering about this place called the happiest place on earth. Anybody know what the happiest place on earth they say is? What is that? Disney, supposed to be the happiest place on earth. Now, some of you already know, if you've been around here for a while, we've met, you know about my feelings and thoughts about Disney, but you don't know why. See, I, I like the idea of going to Disney, but the experience of Disney was different than the idea. 
Dallas and I were first taken to Disney uh, some 40 years ago when she was pregnant with our firstborn. And somebody in our extended family decided to take us all on an expense-paid, free-paid trip to Disney. We said, sure, it's free. We'll go. Loaded us up, took us there. It was miserable. It was Disneyland. It was 120 degrees. It, the humidity was off the charts. Uh, the lines were 90 minutes to two hours long. I mean, it was just, oh, un, it was awful. And the man who was paying for the way had two kids, and they're going, he's going through a divorce. And he wanted to bond with his kids, and he's trying to have this great experience to bond with his kids. And his kids didn't even want to be there, particularly the young teenage daughter. She wanted to be home with her boyfriend. That's all she talked to complain. I want to be with my boyfriend. I wish I, where's my boyfriend? Where's my boyfriend? I mean, just all this sort of stuff. And they wouldn't even go on the rides with their dad. And all this tension, all this stuff is building up, and all this heat, and all these long lines. And finally, the dad just kind of expresses himself. Kids, do you know how much I paid for us all to go to Disney? Do you know how much it costs? Do you realize you're going to have to go to junior college because I paid to take you to Disney World? We're going to stand in this line. I don't care if it takes two hours. You're going to get on that ride with me. I don't care if you don't like it. And you're going to be happy or I'll give you something to be happy about. Any parent ever tried that little parenting style? Ever lost it and kind of, yeah, yeah. how'd that work for you? Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing how we have these expectations in life? of how things are supposed to be, and then they're not. Whoa. Got me to thinking a little bit. What if this place that many of you know and love, whether you're online or in the house, this place called Pathway Church, what if we became famous for being the happiest place on earth? What if? What if we became famous and known for being full of joy? What if everybody here who can hear my voice right now, whether you're in the house or online, sanctuary, true word, what if, hospital, what if you reached your joy potential in your life? What if? What if somebody joined us and logged online to join us in worship, found us in the middle of the week, or came on site, and what if they do that? And maybe you're here this morning, don't believe in God, not even sure if this thing called the Bible is true, not even sure if you agree with it, you kind of want, but you kind of, you find us online, you show up in the house, what if all these sort of things, your life's turned upside down, you're angry at life, you're negative, you're cynical, you kind of got this dark kind of cloud, kind of pig pen hanging over you everywhere you go. But what if, that person, maybe you came into this place or joined us online in this place, and because they so experienced joy and acceptance by you that they walked away totally different and transformed because of how they experienced you. What if? What if when people heard the word Christian, they didn't think judgmental? They didn't think prejudiced? They didn't think of politics. They didn't think of holier-than-thou, self-righteous do-gooders. What if when someone heard the word Christian, because of you, 
They felt hope. They felt joyful hope for themselves and for the world. What if? You know, I just know we all want this thing called joy. We all, we all want to be happy. I hear it all the time. Pastor, I, I'm just not happy. I just want to be happy. We all want to be happy. I, I, I get that. There was a stand-up comedian, comedian who loved to make people happy, and he came up with this little list of the top ten reasons for being Episcopalian. Now, we're not Episcopalian, but some of these things apply. And let me kind of see if he just come in. See, see if these apply to you. You what you think? Number ten, top reason for being Episcopalian. Number ten, no snake handling. Number nine, you can believe in dinosaurs. Number eight, male and female, God created them. Male and female, we ordain them. Amen. Yeah, we believe in that. Uh, you, number seven, you don't have to check your brains at the door. Number six, pure aerobics. Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. Kneel, stand up. Roll over. High five. All that sort of stuff. Uh, number five, the church is color-coded. Liturgical ceilings, red, blue, green, all those. This is not us. Number four, I'm sorry, free wine every Sunday. I know some of you are disappointed to hear that, but that, that's not who we are if, if you're new here this morning. Uh, number three is that all of the pageantry, but none of the guilt. Number two you don't have to know how to swim to be baptized. And the number one reason, while it's a good thing to be Episcopalian, is no matter what you believe, you're bound to find at least one Episcopalian who agrees with you, at least one. Now, we hear this list, we kind of chuckle. And some of us kind of laugh out loud a little bit because we like to laugh. We need to laugh. We want to laugh. You know who came up with this list? Name was Robin Williams. You ever heard of Robin Williams? Here's some of the movies that he did. Now, some of you, man, this is way before your time, before I was being current. And man, I look at these movies and I see Robin Williams up there, and I, I think about. The, I just want to smile. I just want to. He had, he had this. He had a script, but he had this, this natural, joy-filled part personality where he just ad lib and ad lib, and you just could not yet smile uh, when you watched the movie that Robin Williams was in. Are you aware that Robin Williams died uh, by suicide? That he had this disease that affected his mental health and well-being and depression and all sorts of things. Someone on the outside who, who just made everybody else laugh and, and everybody else feel happy and everyone's full of joy dealing with his own stuff on the inside, especially appeared in the mind. Mental health experts are saying that today, as we approach 2021, that depression is off the chain as one of the results of the COVID experience. In fact, it's 10 times higher today than it was in the 1960s. 10 times. In the 1960s, the onset of depression came upon an adult, usually at the age of 29 to 29 and a half. Today, it's at the age of 14. No 14-year-old should have to cope with all the things of the world and have that sort of weight upon them. Now, this weekend, we're launching a message series we're calling The Happy Life. And there's all sorts of research out there in the world, particularly because of COVID, about why people are so unhappy and there's almost weariness in the world. 
and how to be happy. But we're not going to ground it on that. We're going to look at that. We're going to ground it in the Word of God, particularly in the book of Philippians. This is where we're going to be for the next six weeks. We're going to walk through this little book and many of the words of the book of Philippians to kind of understand about the happy life and what the Bible has to say about it and how we battle this thing called depression and other issues in our life. So I'm going to begin at verse 1 of chapter 1. If you want to follow along, we'll put it on the screen, book of Philippians. We begin, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That little word joy is found 14 times in the book of Philippians. Either joy, rejoice, or rejoicing. Some people call this book the book of joy. Okay? Interesting. Paul's writing this. He's in prison. He's in chains. He is in disgrace. He is in trouble. Yet he's talking about joy. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that word confident, you see it over and over and over again in this little book, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, Chris referred to this last weekend, his excellent message, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection. I love that word affection. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, in the ancient times, when they wrote a letter, these letters called the epistles, that is Acts on particularly, they begin with a certain form. Here's how they all begin their letters. Like we begin, how do we begin our letters? To someone, content, here's who it's from. That's now how they did it. They would go from, they began with who it's from. It's from so-and-so, to so-and-so, greetings, and then they would give the content of the letter. So Paul has his own particular style, and Paul usually reveals something about himself in the opening when he's saying, hey, this letter's for me. I'm writing you. Now, I want you to notice, you don't have to turn, but in the book of Ephesians, he says, hey, hey, it's me, it's Paul, and I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the people in Ephesus. That's what he says. Now, over here to the Galatians, he says something very similar, but a little bit different. He says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Sent from men, not, not sent from men nor by man, but sent by Jesus to all the churches in Galatia. Then over in Corinth, he begins again, hey, it's me, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy's also with me, to the church in Corinth. Now, in the book of Philippians, he totally changes it up. There's a little nugget that so many people miss when they're opening this book. Look at the very first verse. We'll put it on the screen, I think, but some of you have your Bibles. Notice here. Paul and Timothy, servants, not apostles, not apostles, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, why the change? Philippi was a very 
unique, elite kind of city. It was a part of the Roman Empire. In fact, it was an outpost of Rome, but it was a colony of Rome. If you were a citizen of Philippi, you're a citizen of Rome. And Philippi is considered uh, the most prestigious, obsessed status of all the communities in the Roman Empire. Uh, Philippi was built on, on honor and climbing the top of the ladder and being the best of the best and everybody looking up to you. And the higher you climbed the ladder, the happier you were because people admired you. They respected you. They honored you because of how high you had claimed in the pecking order of life. The power, the political power, the wealth power. And Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants. In Philippi, the way you get happy is you get to the top of the ladder. Jesus says, no. If you want to have happiness in your life, you go to the bottom of the ladder and you start off as a servant. That word in the Greek is doulos which literally means slave or bondservant. He says, you want to have joy in your life? You want to have this? This is what you do. And so the Apostle Paul is starting off this letter by saying to the people of Philippi who want to climb the ladder to be happy, he says, I am not the master of the happy life. I am not the master of, the, of, the, of a ruling successful life. He said, I'm a servant of a great cause. I'm a servant. And that's going to give me happy and give me joy. Now, this takes us to the happiness paradox. If you have your notes, the happiness paradox, we'll talk about this throughout this message series a little bit. Here it is. Here's the happiness paradox. I will never be happy if the ultimate goal of my life is to be happy. Some of you are wondering why you're so unhappy. Because that's the goal of your life, and you'll never be happy if that's the goal of your life. Never. See, happy is one of something that you get when you're pursuing something else, something bigger, something better than happy. And that is in your notes. Happiness is a byproduct of the meaningful life. There's a big difference in pursuing meaning and pursuing happy. If all you do is pursue happy, you're going to get shallow and you're going to get self-centered narcissism. That's all you're going to get. Happiness for the sake of happiness is emptiness. We think, I'll be happy. I'll be happy if I get what I want. I'll be happy if I get what I think I need. I'll be happy if I can avoid pain. I'll be happy if I can get everybody to like me. I'll be happy if you like me. If you accept me, I'll be happy. I'll be happy if I can avoid COVID. We all make it about our circumstances, right? Hey, I, I'll be happy if I can get the perfect job. And so let's say you get the perfect job. But what else do you get with the perfect job? You get stress. You get pressure. You get challenges. And then you say, hey, I'll be happy when I retire. And then you retire. And all the research shows when you first retire, Happiness gives you a little bump. You get a little bump, but then meaning goes way down because you don't have a place to give, to give your life meaning. You say, hey, listen, I'd be happy if I just had more money. And so you get a chunk of money, and you start spending that money on yourself. 
and you get maybe a bigger house, you get a nicer car, you get a newer car, you go on better trips, better vacations, you go further away, all exotic, all this fun stuff, you get all that. And all the research shows you might be happy for a little while, but eventually, if that's all you're pursuing, meaning goes down way, way down. People say, I'd just be happy if I could get kids in the house. And then you get kids in the house. And you say, I'd be happy if I could get my kids out of the house. Right? I mean, I don't know what it is about young parents who have this this fantasy world in their life that being a parent is just a life of chubby little arms just wrapping their little two-year-old to hug you all the time and just peek your cheek and be so loving and gentle and kind and they're going to grow up to be these perfect little kids who are going to make straight A's and 4.0 GPAs and they're going to be the star of the school play they're going to be involved in everything the superstar in all the athletic teams <laughs> You know what? The number one, the, the, the parent, young, young two-year-old parents like to Google stuff, like to surface stuff online. You know what one of the, one of the top uh, searches is online? Go, go do this. Go do this after a while, parents, particularly with young ones. It says, my two-year-old is, and just put, my two-year-old is, dot, dot, dot. You know what the number two search, not the number one anymore, was the number two search line is? My two-year-old is gifted. Is my two-year-old gifted? All your parents want to know, because see, if my kid is gifted, I'll be happy. That's going to be good, because that means I get to pass on my world-class genes to the next generation who needs it so bad. They just need more of me, more of me, more of me. And so you have kids. You get kids, grandkids. You also get bottles and diapers. You also get crying and temper tantrums. You also get sleepless nights. Having kids is expensive. Having kids is exhausting. Having kids is draining. Having kids increases worry and stress. All the research proves that when people start having kids, happiness actually goes down a little bit. You know when happiness goes back up? When they turn 18 or 20 or 30 or 40, <laughs> and they leave the nest, you know what else goes up? In most homes, in most couples, marital satisfaction goes up when the kids leave. Amazing. So when kids come, for a while, happiness actually goes down. But you know what goes up? Meaning. And as it turns out, when you get to the end of your life, what really matters in your life is meaning. God created and made you for sustainable, increasing joy in your life, but it only comes with increased meaning in your life. If you aim at happy, you get nothing. You aim at meaning, happy gets thrown in. And you get joy. I want to give you today four things to help us 
kind of lay the foundation on where we're going for this next six weeks. Here's the first thing about joy. Number one, joy comes when I practice acts of kindness and generosity toward others. Happiness, joy, we've all got it wrong. We think, you know what, I'll just be happy. I'll just have, I'll, I'll be good to go if people just do what I need. If he would just do, if she would just do, if they would just do what I need and what I want, then I'll be happy. No. When I do for others what they need, I'll find joy. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is taking these Philippians who these ladder climbing. When I get to the top where everybody's serving me, then I'm going to be okay. The Apostle Paul writes uh, in chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 3. I'm not sure if we begin at verse 3 on the screen. It goes like the Apostle says, hey, listen, do nothing out of selfish ambition, not vain conceit, rather in humility, value other people above yourself. Don't look to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the other. In your relationships, in your home, I could say with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, verse 6, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Take care of me. Take care of me. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Of a servant. Jesus, he himself didn't go to the top of the ladder. He went to the bottom of the ladder. Because at the bottom of the ladder, when you're serving others, is where you find meaning in your life. And when you find meaning, happiness gets thrown in. Now, here's a little weird truth about all of us. It's our sinful, broken nature. We think that our lives will be perfect and everything will be great. And our marriage will be great. Our family, our home life will be great. If everybody would just do what we want and what we need, everything would be okay. But that's a lie. As it turns out, true joy and happiness that's connected to joy is based on acts of kindness and generosity that I give to other people. It really is. So here's your assignment this week. I don't care where you are on the joy factor, where you are on the happiness factor. Here's your assignment. I want you to find someone this week that you're going to go perform an act of kindness for. Go find someone that you're, you're going to bless them, just to bless them, expecting nothing in return. Don't ask them. Don't tell them. Just go do it. Don't make a big deal about it. And you will know joy because your life will have meaning. That's just the way it works. Now, I was on the other end of this here a few weeks ago when I had COVID. And for about 36 hours, I had that nasty part of it that nobody wants to have. And I would not wish this on anyone. And I did not ask anybody to do anything. But my wife, she waited on me hand and foot. I was upstairs in quarantine upstairs. She would put food at the bottom step, and I would get to come down and get it. She just food. I didn't ask her. She just did it. One day, I looked out my window, and somebody pulled in my small group. It pulled up their car in our driveway. They, I thought, what are they doing? 
and they had heard somehow that I did not have a TV upstairs. I had no college football on Saturday. Just brought me a TV with a Roku. They had had COVID. They were, they were immune. They walked up the stairs, put it on, set it up, plugged it in, and said, bye, and just left. I didn't ask them. They just did it. Another member of our small group brought a big old pot of, of chicken vegetable soup. It was so good. Somebody else just came and put a little sack on my doorstep, had two bottles of water, my favorite protein bars. Pastor, praying for you. Get well. Now, I will tell you, those little things meant a whole lot to me. But you know who it meant more to? Them. Because they felt like I, they felt their life had meaning, and it brought them joy to be a blessing to somebody else. So I'm telling church, I'm command, I'm charging you this week. I don't care where you are on the happiness meter or the joy meter or what's happened in your life. You find someone in your neighborhood, in your school, uh, in your gym, where you work, in your family tree, someone that's in COVID, someone that's quarantined, and you go perform an act of kindness of them. Be generous, just because and your joy will increase because you'll have meaning as a servant of somebody else in your life and you'll be imitating Jesus who offered a cup of cold water just a cup of cold water to the least of these and number two suffering can interrupt the happy life but suffering is powerless to stop the meaningful life. Now, that's important from time to time we stop and talk about suffering because nobody wants to talk about it and everybody's dealing with it, particularly during this pandemic. The COVID, score, COVID scorecard, you ever know what a baseball scorecard is where it has the batting averages and, and the ERAs and, and the runs and the errors? They got a little scorecard in baseball. Well, there's a COVID scorecard, and if you keep watching it, it's awful. It's terrible. I'm sick of seeing it. So much suffering. The positive tests are going off the roof. The people uh, that are in quarantine and that are sick, the deaths, it's, it's, it's increasing. I don't care. That's a fact. It is. So much suffering. So many small businesses are still struggling to hold them, to stay open. It's hard in business. This COVID recession, financial suffering. Last Sunday night, I was watching the news, shame on me. Saw reporting of five murders in a row. Story about a murder, story about a murder, five in a row. I thought, you got to be kidding me. It just was so dark and gloomy. You see that the crime is just going off the charts in certain parts of the metroplex and areas. It's just, it's awful. It's Cain and Abel all over again. There was even families killing each other. A small child was killed. And he's tested Paxer and his wife. And some of you probably saw that. I just turned it off and said, I can't believe all the suffering. And then on Wednesday night, when I finally caught up with the news of what happened in our nation on Wednesday, I just felt the darkness settling over our nation. As we were reminded... That hatred just begets more hatred. Violence just begets more violence. And people on extreme, I don't care where you are on the extreme spectrum, 
and you're lobbing grenades at the others and judging and condemning them over here. And those over here are judging and condemning them over there. And it just erupts into suffering for everybody. And yet Jesus says, love your enemies. Don't post about them on Facebook or social media or Twitter. Don't stop, stop all that stuff. Don't do that. Pray for those who persecute you. No more violence. No more spewing of hatred and evil. It just results in suffering for everybody. And so, when you think about that, some, some thoughtful person might be thinking, Pastor, in a lot of what's going on in our world and our nation with COVID in the United States and the civil unrest and the political unrest and all the division in our land, how can we even be talking about joy or have a message series talking about the happy life? Because who can be happy now? I get it. But as it turns out, when you look at this Bible and you look at the gospel especially, and when you look at human beings who have joy, it turns out that suffering and joy are compatible. It turns out that a person of true joy, there's nothing going on in the world. Even the worst evil and sin and darkness and suffering can silence their joy. It's kind of like the sidewalk, the cracks in the sidewalk. Well, that little flower keeps on popping up. You spray it, it pops up again. You spray it, and you can't keep it down. And you can't keep joy down in a person who is full of the joy of the Lord as their strength. You can't do it. So the Apostle Paul right here, he says to the Philippians in chapter 1, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. But over here in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul was in Philippi. And uh, he had some pretty bad memories, I think, probably of that experience. In Acts chapter 16, uh, he had done a, this miraculous act. He had delivered this person from some demonic influence. And the people in Philippi, this ladder-climbing culture, didn't like it. And so we read over here in Acts 16 and verse 22, the crowds attacked Paul and Silas. They attacked them. They stripped them of their clothes. It was a mob mentality, just a mob, a riot, beaten with rods. It says they had them severely flogged, like they were being tasered. Then it says they were thrown into prison. And then you read on down there in verse 24, they were put in these cells and their feet were put in stocks. That is, they were locked in. They couldn't move. You talk about quarantined. They were quarantined. Now, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says. I think we have it on the screen. Verse 25 of, Psalm 6, of uh, Acts 16. The Scriptures say, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and what else were they doing? Singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, I love this. What else are prisoners going to do at midnight? The other prisoners were listening to them. Well, of course they were. I mean, they're, they're annoying them. They're keeping them up at night. They're singing hymns. Now, here's what I think is so fascinating. In this ladder-climbing culture of Philippi, where you want to be at the top of the ladder where you can be the most happy, Paul and Silas turned this prison into the happiest place on earth. What do you think they're singing? 
This is the first place the world ever heard. It's a small world after all. That's what you're saying at the happiest place in the world, right? That's what they had to be singing. That was their response. They're singing thanks to God for his goodness and kindness. Now, let me ask you, what would be your response? You're falsely accused. You've been beaten. You've been publicly ostracized. You've been left for dead. You've been thrown in jail. How would you respond to that kind of suffering? Here's what I know how most people respond. When life gets hard and life is unfair, we close ourselves off to joy. We kind of hibernate and go and hide and just kind of, we kind of cave in and we kind of curl up in a little ball and we just give in to the misery and everything. That's what we do. Our brokenness, our weakness within them, we just kind of cave and give. What's the best response to suffering for the person who's the follower of Jesus Christ? What's the best response? It's God, use me. It's not hopelessness. It's not despair. The best prayer in the midst of suffering is, God, use me to be a blessing to somebody else. God, use me in the midst of whatever I'm going through, God, because you are my strength. You are my salvation. Even in this, I know you are good and you are with me. Use me. Now, I want to stop here just for a second. I do want want to make light of anybody here in this room or anybody online, because I know we have many online, the hospital, wherever you are, you're quarantined, you're deeply depressed, you're struggling, you're hurting, you're low, you're miserable, you're in an endless quarantine, it feels like someone you love is a hurting, you have a parent, you've lost someone to death, your own health is critical, finances are critical because of the COVID recession, whatever, I know it's real. And I just want to say something to you right now. I want to take you connected to a man by the name of Steve Hayner. I want to introduce you to him. Uh, Steve Hayner is a Presbyterian pastor. Uh, Steve Hayner at one time was the, was the president of Fuller Seminary. He uh, was the president of the InterVarsity Press. Very strong Christian. He was optimistic. And every letter he wrote, he signed it off joyful. He just signed joyful. And people just loved getting a letter uh, from him. He was just joyful. And then he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he knew pancreatic cancer was a death sentence. He got depressed. He lost his health. He lost his ability to walk. He lost all of his energy. He lost all of his strength. And he writes this. What is there to do in dark times? The first thing is don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed to identify what you're feeling. Unfortunately, in our culture, there's still a kind of a shame connected to depression, as if we should never feel depressed. After all, I'm the guy who signs all of his letters joyfully. But joy is dependent upon who I am, upon how I am loved, more than my circumstances. It is happiness that takes a hit when my circumstances are bad, not joy. Our circumstances are too variable to be the foundation for our daily feelings about life. But truth always opens the door to new life. 
So I would rather face darkness full on than try to put on another happy mask. Somebody right here needs to hear this. Somebody here can hear my voice. You're online. You're going to watch this in the middle of the week at 2 o'clock in the morning or early in the morning, whatever. You're going to wake up. You're depressed. You're going to find this. There's somebody here in this worship space right now online or a true worth. Please hear this. Some of you are so sad. You are so full of despair that you have thought about taking your own life. You don't think your life is worth anything. It is. If you're watching online, it is. Some of you are just so full of fear and worry in your mind, just the thought of waking up tomorrow. You don't even want to wake up tomorrow morning because your heart is so heavy with worry and concern and all this weight within your shoulder. And you think, man, I just can't even make it. I just I can't even get up tomorrow morning. For some of you here that are online or in the house, it took all the courage you could just to get online, to click that little button. It took everything you had just to click to join us in worship or to get up and come to worship. It took everything you had to get here. Please hear this. I applaud you and I respect you for fighting through the darkness and I want you to know you're welcome here. You came to the right place. Because in a world that stigmatizes shame, that shames people who are depressed, have mental health issues, and emotions that go up and down all over the place, you're welcome here. Because this place is not a place for people who got their act together. This is the place for broken, hurting people who are real, not fake, who don't put on these plastic little mask to pretend that everything is okay in their life when they're not. You are welcome here. And I make you a promise. You will never be judged or condemned for not feeling happy all the time. And I'll make you another promise. Or God does. It comes from Psalm 30. And here's what it says. Weeping may come for a night. But rejoicing will come in the morning. I don't know when that morning will come. It may come tomorrow morning. It may come next week. It may come next month. It may not come till 2022. I don't know. But it will come. And when it comes, I want to remind you what we just said. Suffering can interrupt the happy life, but suffering is powerless to stop the meaningful life. Number three, meaning comes when I invest in what matters most, that is relationships with people. I'm just going to throw that out there with you. I don't have time to mess with this point. I'm aware of the time. I wouldn't until I looked at my little clock right there. Aren't you glad I have one? You've been really in trouble. Those that are online going, I don't care. I can just turn off the phone right TV right now. The Apostle Paul, in his letter, he is writing... And he's really saying what matters most in this thing about people. I thank my God, he said, every time I think about you. I, I just, I'm just thankful. I mean, you mean so much to me. It's all about relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. I, here's what I know about some of you. If you were writing this letter, you would say, you know what? I, I complain to God every time I think about you. Can we be truthful? 
God, if you would just fix him. God, if you would just take care of her. If you would just make all that right, then I would be happy. Then I'd be okay. But Paul says, no, 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 no. When I think about people, I have joy in my life because relationships, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships, church. I will tell you, Paul was filthy. He was poor financially, but he was rich in relationships. And if you're rich in relationships, you can have zero money and you can be joyful. That's really what he's saying. And here's the last one, number four. The happy life is rooted in my circumstances. The meaningful life is rooted in my spiritual life. Circumstances, joy is about, uh, happiness is about, circumstances is about my my money, my health, uh, my well-being on the outside. But the meaningful life is rooted in my spiritual life. In that opening verse, he says, James, he says, no, he says, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the people in Philippi, in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. How your location is, you live in Philippi, this ladder-climbing culture. But you're really in Christ Jesus. Here's what I know. People spend a lot of money to live in the right house, in the right state, in the right county, in the right neighborhood. Oh, I just got to live in the right neighborhood, the right city, the right place. And if I get there, I'll be happy. But all the research proves that is not true. Church, you can live in Dallas, you can live in Fort Worth, you can live in Burleson, you can live in Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., you name it, and be miserable. Or you can live there and you can be joy-filled. That's what he's saying. Because it's not your geographic location, it's your spiritual location that brings you joy. And you are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, that means that Jesus is with you. He is for you. He is by you. He is working for you for the good in your life. He will never leave you. He's watching over you. He's gone before you. He is next to you. And as it turns out, if you were in Christ Jesus, you learn that joy, that joy is not a feeling. Joy is not a mood. The Bible never says be in a good mood. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always because the joy of the Lord is your strength Jesus himself said say I told you all these things so that my joy in you might be complete in Hebrews the writer said put your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who the joy set before us endured the cross scorning suffering and shame See, it turns out that when you have joy, you can say anytime, anywhere, in Christ, it is well with my soul. I don't care what's going on around me. If Christ is in me, even death itself. See, the God of joy became the man of sorrows. He went to the cross. He suffered. He died. And on the third day, he says, I'm going to give you something to be happy about. I'm going to take this tomb that's the sign of death and despair and depression, and I'm going to turn it into the happiest place on earth because the tomb is empty. And even in death, you can know the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, next week, I'm going to give you four different ways that you can be miserable. 
So invite your best enemy friend. <laughs> Just kidding. We're doing the opposite because the cross and the empty tomb is all about joy. Bring somebody with you next week. So whether you're online or in the house, I want to invite you to stand if you can. I just want to invite you to stand. I want to pray with you as I send you out in the beautiful snow. And here's my prayer. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the house and online. Some of us, God, are so filled with gratitude. We have so many great things going on in our life. We have great people in our life. We're so thankful. We find great satisfaction in our work, God. Some of us find great satisfaction in retirement. We have wonderful friendships. The new year is going to be awesome, God. We believe it. We know it. We don't take that for granted, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But God, there are others who can hear my voice who are facing great challenges. The loss of health. Finances are hard. Seemingly endless quarantine. They're online forever, they feel like. And God, we know we only have one hope, and that is Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and all of its shame. So, God, I pray, would you bring joy, God, to every heart and to every circumstances? Will you bring a joy, God, that transcends all circumstances of our life, even death? Would you use us, God, to bring joy to a world that is so joyless? So, God, today we drive a stake in the ground. We proclaim our joy is in you. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. We offer you our hearts, our worship, our lives, our eternity. In the name of the great joy giver, we sing, It is well with my soul. It is well. Sing it, church. With my soul. Sing it from your gut like you really mean it. It is well, it is online. well with my Don't be embarrassed soul. if you're online in your home by itself. Sing it from the depth of your soul. Sing it. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. God, we thank you for your mercy, for your kindness, and for your goodness in Christ Jesus. And because of him, we declare one last time, it is well with our soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. See you next week.